Welcome back to the Hype Podcast. FlowCon is right around the corner. Pastor Vance, what can you do to give me an elevator pitch for FlowCon? My goodness, this is for kingdom-minded entrepreneurs, innovators, makers, creators. This is also for people that are vocationally building the local church. What happens when you get about 100 kingdom-minded CEOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, combined with pastors and church leaders? I think what happens is that we are going to create innovations for the future to build the future of the church, to build the expansion of the kingdom together through innovation. And so that's what FlowCon is. It's the first time we're ever doing it, but there has been so much interest. We're literally almost sold out. And so people got to go to overflow.co slash FlowCon to Reserve your ticket, like literally right now. If this is your first time hearing about FlowCon, please get out from the rock you're hiding under and go to overflow.co slash FlowCon for more information and to register. So over the next few weeks, we're doing something really special on the Hype Podcast. Um, We want to give people a taste of what's to come at FlowCon. So we're doing a special rebroadcast of some of the most requested um, Hype sessions from Amen Conference's Hype event last year. Um, So to start, we're kicking it off with the values and valuations session. Um, on that panel, we had some incredible, incredible people. We have Charles Shannon. He's a member of Vive Church since 2015. He's a partner at Founder Circle Capital, which is a growth stage venture firm based in SF. We had Chiwa Chen, co-founder and managing partner at Goodwater Capital. And then we had HyPod's very own Pastor Vance, (laughs) um, co-founder and executive pastor at Vive Church, as everybody knows, and founder and CEO of Overflow. All of this was uh, hosted by the HyPod OG, Katrina. Pastor Vance, tell us a little bit more about your expectations going into that panel and what you took away coming out of it. Yeah, it literally is the most requested, uh, you know, hype podcast that we've ever done. Literally in the room, in the hype house. That was Mm -hmm. special, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We created a hype house in the parking lot of the church. And the first time we ever did it, and it was electric. Mm -hmm. I think I was most blown away by how front-footed people were in that session, leaning in, I was blown away by how many actual founders we attracted Mm -hmm. from all over the world. We had people literally in the room that flew in from Brazil, Mm -hmm. that flew in from Miami, that flew in from New York, uh, just hearing about what God is doing in the Silicon Valley through the hype network and through this hype movement, Mm -hmm. if I could say it like that. And, you know, some of the best of the best, right? I mean, Charles Shannon, uh, not only does he serve in the local church here at Vive, but literally is one of the check riders into companies like Robinhood. Wow. Hello, somebody. Wow. And then you got uh, our friend Chiwa, who literally has probably one of the fastest growing VC firms, comes previously from Kleiner Perkins. Kleiner Perkins, right? Wrote one of the first checks into companies like Facebook, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So this is like people at the top of their game that love the Lord, mm-hmm. that love Jesus. And that's what we called it, right? Values and valuations. Mm -hmm. You know, we can uh, be so focused on chasing this valuation that we forget that actually it's all rooted in kingdom principles. It's all rooted in values if it's going to sustain. If those valuations are going to sustain, it has to be rooted in values. And so I felt like in this session, we gave Silicon Valley insider knowledge. Yeah. I felt like we gave some insights and... You know, it's been gated for this past year to just members only. By Mm -hmm. the way, if you want this exclusive content at the tip of your fingers, go to hypemembership.com and you can always have it 
but we're unleashing it. Mm -hmm. We're unleashing it for the very first time. Yep. So we're really excited for the rebroadcast. Yeah. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned investor, or someone fascinated by the intersection of faith and finance, this episode is for you. So get ready to be inspired, informed, and perhaps even a little challenged as the episode explores what it truly means to build with values and aim for valuations that reflect more than just the bottom line. Let's dive in. Hey, I'm so glad that people come from all over the globe to be here in the Silicon Valley for Amen Conference and Hype Sessions. And uh, I really want to just set a tone of prayer before we introduce the panel. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are so hungry for an acceleration. Lord, we want a deposit of wisdom. That's the appetite of our heart, Lord, that we can just get some knowledge today. And as we apply that knowledge, would it become wisdom in our lives? Lord, not just for us, but for others around us. Would you increase our sphere of influence? And Lord, I'm just so thankful that we get to be here in the room. Would you be blessed? Would you be glorified? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to make one mention before we get into the panel, and uh, I'm so thankful for all the sponsors that we have here, the sponsors of Hype House today, and specifically this session, uh, Vest Fund, who have been ultimately underlying this whole thing and underwriting everything hype, and just such a belief in innovation, entrepreneurs, and founders. And we wanted to hear from a, a founder in particular, Michael Whittle. Could you bring up, let's welcome Michael Whittle. He's going to come up. Michael, who is the founder of Vast, Fa uh, Vast Media, and uh, you've been invested in by Vest, first check-in, and uh, I just wanted you to kind of let everyone know, what does that feel like as a founder to get that investment? Like, I mean, that's a big vote of confidence when you get an investment in, but as a founder receiving that check, what does that feel like? Um, like you're not crazy. In some right. ways, right? There you go. Like this experiment that you've been working on in your head that somebody actually says, oh, this idea could actually maybe become a business. Um, so that was huge. Um, that was a huge first step for me. I remember when like getting the wire going, it's this here. is awesome. What have I done? Like all, all at the same time, but going, maybe we're onto something. So that was, that was a huge, a huge deal. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, getting that investment is key for the confidence factor, but what does that investment allow you to do as far as a company's concerned? Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, what it, it allowed me to do was put all of my focus on this business. Um, and I had been probably for the previous 12 months just gathering partners and people and all kinds of, of things. When this happened, I could just essentially make everything that I had been building happen. So it was like immediate execution, um, like starting day one. So that was huge. It was all about focus. And you guys have been scaling massively. You've been growing. We have, yeah. Expanding. And tomorrow night, you're actually doing a showcase. Is that correct? I am. Yeah, One yeah, of the yeah. showcase companies tomorrow night. So you're going to be able to hear more about Vast Media tomorrow night. But let's give it up for Michael. Let's give it up for Vest Fund. And uh, appreciate them so much. All right. Where are we at? Let's bring up the panelists. Can we do that? Let's all the panelists come up. Katrina, would you come up? Yeah, give them a big hand as they take the stage. They get to be in the hot seats tonight. And as I said, uh, get ready with some questions as we're uh, kind of going through this evening. And um, we're going to make this incredible. But um, yeah, Katrina, you want to introduce the panelists? Oh, there's your mic. Oh, do I have Slack on? Okay, awesome. Who, who ended up winning the AirTags? Who was it? Oh, I feel like that was easy. What do you mean it was easy? They had to come 13 hours of Spirit easy Airways. Win. That's not easy. <laughs> I don't even think Spirit has first class. I think they don't even have business class. So. Oh my gosh. 
Well, I know all of you have been really excited to come to this particular session. This one is called Values and Valuations. And so we've got an amazing panel here. The Hype House has been vibing all day. So um, we're going to get into this. Is that okay? Awesome. Charles Shannon. You guys know, if you go to Mountain View campus, you know Charles Shannon is one of our kingdom builders. How long have you been at Vibe? 2015. Okay, I thought you were going to say 20 years. I'm like, <laughs> no. Yeah, I was here before Pastor Adam. No, no. no. Yeah. No, 2015. So, um, Charles, I know that you were in investment banking at Morgan Stanley before you were in um, the particular place that you're in now. You're going on um, 10 years now in that space of finance, right? Yep, yep. And um, you're currently a partner at Founders Circle Capital. Yep. It's a venture firm based in San Francisco. I know there's a really great story there. But um, would you tell, real, tell us really quick in about a minute, what is Founders Circle about? Oh, for sure. So Founder Circle is a late-stage VC firm. So uh, anyone seen the, seen the show Shark Tank? Shark Tank? Okay. So we're Shark Tank, but just later. So you've, you've been around a little bit longer. You've scaled your company, and now you need to raise more money. Kind of we're at your growth stage. You figured everything out, and now you need to scale. That's where we come in. Uh, we got about a billion in AUM across four funds. Uh, kind of cover anything that we can understand. So software, consumer, fintech, healthcare, you name it, we'll look at it. And uh, yeah, we kind of write write checks and invest. What have you invested into? Uh, lots of companies. Uh, companies like Robinhood, UiPath, uh, Databricks, uh, Ebates, uh, Pinterest. Uh, you name it, we kind of we kind of invested in them. Awesome. So then we've got Chiwa Chen right here on, um, again, my right. Um, Chiwa is the co-founder and managing partner at Goodwater Capital, the largest consumer tech-focused VC firm in the world. Goodwater manages over $3 billion of committed capital. It's exciting. Supports a family of over 600 seed venture and growth stage startups spanning 51 countries. Do you want to talk about Goodwater real quick? So uh, <laughs> we started this firm almost 10 years ago, nine and a half years ago. Uh, with a really simple idea, which is that consumer technology is the most powerful force on earth. Wow. It's shaping global culture and transforming the global economy in really unprecedented ways. Like think about everything you hold in your hands and all the apps that you use every single day. None of that existed 15 years ago. It's crazy to think about that, right? And so we built a dedicated firm that is enabling entrepreneurs all the way from seed stage. We've got 700 seed stage companies through to growth stage companies. We'll write a $150 million check to help you get through to that last stage as you're getting ready to go public. And these companies, they really build the digital infrastructure for seven key categories. Housing, healthcare, food, financial services, transportation, education, and entertainment. And those seven categories are the categories of human flourishing. Right? If you don't have housing and healthcare, you're in a pretty bad spot. You don't have food, you're probably not alive. If you don't have transportation, education, you're not accessing opportunity around you. If you don't have entertainment, it's kind of boring. So that's what we do, and we do it globally. So that portfolio is in 50 countries around the world. Yeah, awesome. And you're a Stanford alum, aren't you? I am. Yeah, so it's very, okay, awesome. Just pouring back into the area here. All right, so then we've got um, Pastor Vance Roush to my right. Awesome. Pastor Vance is the founder and CEO of Overflow and on mission to inspire the world to give. Specifically, Overflow unlocks unprecedented levels of generosity by empowering nonprofit foundations and corporations to accept non-cash assets like stocks and crypto with ease. I'm going to let you talk about Overflow. I know some people are familiar with it, but let's familiarize everybody with Overflow. Yeah, yeah. So we're a fintech platform aimed at inspiring the world to give. 
Uh, it's built on the biblical proverb, Proverbs 11:24. the world that the generous gets larger and larger. So we have a conviction that if that's true, if we believe what the Bible says, why would we not want to inspire every single human being on the planet to be generous? And so we want to build an iconic company uh, that does this through financial technology. So exciting. Okay, awesome. And you probably saw Pastor Vance also on the Hype Pod earlier. If you want to hear, he's going to be doing another um, panel with us tomorrow on the future of money. So you can come back tomorrow. So it's going to be really great. We're talking about values and valuations. What we want to give the room today, as we talked about earlier, is just some tools. I want to know from you guys, both from the investing and the founder perspective, what are we looking for when, it lo when you're looking for a company to invest in? So give us the goods. Let's start there, and then I'll cut in if that's okay. We should start with Charles, because I've been asking for money for three okay. years. Yeah, go for um, it. And so I want to hear the answer. Yes, actually. okay, so Charles, you start. Absolutely, absolutely. And that, that's a true statement. Uh, so, um, Have you given him any yet? N not yet. You're, you're going to do the first check, remember? No, like, no, you're, no, you got to explain earlier. No, you're earlier. <laughs> and, then, and then as yeah. he, then we... This ha this how this what works. does hey, Vance have to do to earn a check from Founder Circle ex Capital? Exactly, exactly. He needs to <laughs> yeah. he needs to get money from Chihuahua. Uh, so 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 uh, if you're taking notes, I use the six M's. The six M's. Okay. So first M is market. You gotta have a big market. Uh, and if you don't have a big market, then you're not gonna uh, get an outside a third party funder interested in investing in your company because remember they're gonna have a small percentage of invest uh, ownership and so the market has to be big enough so first one is is market second one is management uh you have to be a compelling a passionate a driven founder or an entrepreneur if you're not excited or engaging how are you going to engage me uh so you got to be you got to be skilled up and persuasive third m is moat m-o-a-t uh it's literally how are you differentiated why can't i do what you're doing right now so what about what you offer is different from someone else Fourth M is margins. So what are your margins? What is the, what is the profile of your company? Are you profitable? Are you on a path to profitability? Uh, metrics. What about your company makes your company amazing? Is it because it's growing fast? Is it because it's engaging customers and customers are excited about your product? Uh, what about your company? What tangibly can I see that makes your company so interesting and engaging? And the last M, if I'm, at, if I'm counting right, is multiple, which is ultimately how do I actually value you? Like, what's your evaluation? When, when I look at those first five M's and I take a step back and I say, okay, based on all that, what are you, what are you actually worth? Uh, and that, 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 that's a loaded question, but ultimately that's what we're looking for, those six M's. Which one's the most important? Ooh, which one's the most important? So when you're earlier, the first we, three. We know Vance didn't have the second one. He definitely did not. Yeah, that was like, a, I was like, a, who else is on the management team uh, to, <laughs> to make sure? I'm just joking. He's an amazing guy. If you don't know him. I love them. Uh, no, so, so, the, so when you're early, Chihuahua, the first three matter. So big market, uh, manage your team, and what's, what makes you differentiated? When you're later stage, when you're around my stage, then I care more about your metrics, your margins, and ultimately how to value you. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. i just add one thing. When you're early, a lot of times people are like, oh, your market's not big enough. Your not, market's not big enough. But at the very earliest stage, oftentimes you have a tiny market that's growing incredibly fast. Yeah. And that's a unique entrepreneurial insight. As an entrepreneur, you see something that no one else sees. And you see that this market, it might be streaming music, it might be electric cars, it might be college social networks. None of those things were markets that you could measure at the time that those companies got started. But you see something that no one else sees. Now, at the later stage, you gotta be able to prove the size of the market. 
but the early stage, it's really that insight that'll drive you. When you say early stage chew, are you talking about specifically pre-seed seed, or are you even talking about A? Seed, A, sometimes even Series B. Okay. Yeah. And then, so when you talk about tiny markets, there's also non-existent markets. Airbnb, for example, um, might have not been a market at all, the, depending on how you looked at it. Is that more of an exception than the rule, or does that actually happen often? No, that's a great question. A lot of, a lot of times, m markets like Airbnb, while the market for a random stranger to rent a room for you for a night didn't really exist. The hotel market was really, really big. And so that was an adjacency. And what Airbnb had was they said, hey, it'll be a third the price of that hotel room. And you'll have a friendly person there to talk to you and make you breakfast in the morning. Right. So sometimes these adjacencies are where markets can really pop up. That's awesome. How many founders or CEOs do we have in the room real quick? Could you put your hand up? Oh, wow. It's a lot. Okay. okay. That's awesome. This is my pipeline. Okay, this is great. Just gonna yeah. <laughs> We're just making a funnel for you, Charles. Many, okay. I just wanted to make sure. How's doing my job for me? Yeah, yeah. How many, how One more time. Yeah. <laughs> how many would quit your job and become a founder if you had something that you're excited about, inspired to do? Okay. Oh wow, more. that's a great. Good. Awesome. <laughs> it was the same hands. <laughs> Same, same hands. hands. It was the same hands. <laughs> They're going to quit their current Exactly. Their They're looking for a better idea. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so great. Thank you for the practicality. What does it take to get your attention, like to get a meeting with you? What, 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 what would it Like if someone had to give you a two-minute, <laughs> what actually makes you book a meeting with them? So we're kind of unique, and this may not be true for every venture firm, but we generally, most venture capitalists will say to get a meeting with a VC, you need a warm intro. Oh, okay. All right. So if you want to meet Charles, you need to be here and come up and talk to him afterwards. Uh, we don't do warm intros, so we actually don't meet any companies that are or rarely meet companies that are referred to us. We're looking for companies with proven customer traction. And it could be really tiny. It could be 10,000 users, 5,000 users. When we invested in Musical.ly, before it became TikTok, it had like 100,000 users, really, really tiny, 42 people in Shanghai. But it had that customer traction. Because what did that tell you? That tells you that product is working. People want to use that product. And so for us, that's really the thing is do customers love the product? Wait, so are you searching for them? Yeah, we're searching for them. And, and how do you do that? Uh, our, our system is unique. We, we built a technology platform uh, that crawls the entire world. We track 10 million companies in real time. We have 40 engineers and data scientists on our team. To give a sense of the, the scale of the data that we collect, it's about 2,000 terabytes of data a month. And it turns out, if you actually go look for all this data, you can find out how many people are using a product, how long do they use it, how often do they use it, how quickly do they churn, how much money do they spend on it. Uh, and then we build machine learning models across all of that to identify the best performing companies. Okay, so Chiwa hasn't found Overflow yet, because I, I haven't got an email. Um, so can you guys give more, please? Everybody yeah, just it's, give it's a, now. It's a B2B business. Give now, our graph do, is gonna spike. We only do consumer investing. We um, our graph's gonna spike, and then I'll get an email uh, a warm email from, from Chihuahua. If you want to meet people like Charles, as a founder, okay? If you want to meet people like Charles, warm intros actually do make a difference. Their their uh, vast majority of any company I take seriously is through a warm intro, either through an existing relationship or through a friend of a friend uh, because I, my view is uh, venture is just about, just so much about the people as is about the product uh, and you're building for a long time. And so if you don't have a connection and or uh, ability to reference check the people you're working with, uh, it makes it really hard to, to engage. Will you... Uh, hey, Vance, real quick. Yeah. Just because we heard from the VCs, but you're a founder. Yeah. 
you got funding. Exactly. How did you make your own intros? So I joined an accelerator. And so whether it's like a, a Vest Fund or a Y Combinator or an accelerator like that, they did provide a network because I came in uh, as a, a pastor, right? And I didn't have a, a baked-in network, even though we've lived here, we've been here. We didn't have a baked-in network of VCs. And so I joined an accelerator, and that was actually pretty catalytic for us because, to Charles' point, um, I was getting a lot more responses to my emails. I was getting a lot more opportunities to, to get on meetings. It took a lot of meetings, but we got those meetings largely because of a baked-in network that we joined. Um, Describe an accelerator because people here might yeah, not know what so, it is. Yeah, so an accelerator is, let's take Y Combinator, the most famous one, for example. They will give you a little bit of capital, maybe just a bit over $100,000 for, let's say, 7% of your company. And they'll put you through a 10-week boot camp. And so, you know, companies that have gone through Y Combinator are like Stripe, actually Airbnb that we were talking about. Um, and so these are some of the companies that go through there. And because of Y Combinator's proven success through their accelerator model, because they have subject matter experts that speak into the formation of your business, talking about things like Chiwa's talking about build something that people want, yeah. get to that traction, grow 10% week over week, because they put you on that pathway and you can talk to subject matter experts, people that see intros from a Y Combinator partner um, are much more interested because they know that they went through some sort of vetting or filtering process. Hey, so we're talking about values and valuations. I know this is unique that we're talking about this at a church conference, which is really awesome. I love that this has been part of our vision. But um, I want to have you guys speak into what does it look like to run a company with values? Um, I know not just faith-based, but you are kingdom builders and you're advancing the kingdom. What does that look like for each of you? Chiwa, I like yours because you guys established it. Yeah, jump in. Let's talk about Goodwater. Yeah, so we have an interesting founding story. Um, I I was called specifically by God out of Kleiner Perkins to start this new firm. Uh, My my co-founder, actually, Sohi, my wife, is sitting here. Uh, We were praying about a co-founder, and she walks downstairs one morning, and she says, hey, you know, you really should talk to your friend Eric. Uh, about starting this business with you. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never really thought of Eric, so I'm thinking about it. Turns out Eric had a prophetic dream the week before that he was supposed to quit his job and join me and start the business together. So uh, my son hasn't heard that before, so he was pretty surprised. (laughs) Uh, So we started actually first with mission and values. Before we started with business strategy, we started with mission and values. And so our mission is to empower exceptional entrepreneurs everywhere to change the world for good. It goes back to that belief that consumer technology is this incredibly powerful force, but it doesn't always get used for good. Like really bad things happen in the world when entrepreneurs use technology in bad ways. And then we sketched out six core values, integrity, transparency, quality, service, humility, and justice. These values represent a picture of the world that we want to live in, the world we want to leave with our kids, and having experienced the, build, the building of some incredible consumer tech platform companies at our previous jobs, we realized that if you can incept these values deeply into a startup from the very beginning, they will then go hire tens of thousands of people who build products that touch hundreds of millions or billions of people, and those values will end up in the world through those products that are built. And so the journey has been a really interesting one because... The first time we went, you know, the, the huge Kleiner LP 
had told me that they always they would want to back me if I ever did a new fund. We show up with this slide deck. The first two slides are mission and values. They look at us and they're like, you're never going to win any deals. <laughs> Don't you realize this is the era of win at all costs, you know, break everything to win. And they didn't give us any money. So we had to go actually find the people who were willing to back a new venture firm that actually put values at the core before strategy. Uh, but what it does, long term, it's not all bad news, is you find the right people who do want to partner with you. You find the right teammates, you find the right capital partners, you find the right entrepreneurs. When you have that conversation up front, it actually cements that relationship. It makes it so much stronger because you know you're aligned on the thing that really matters, not just the dollars and cents that might or might not go right. And you build with enduring principles, right? The Bible's undefeated, right? The biblical values that we find in scripture are undefeated. When we found the tenets of generosity, biblically living it out here at Vive for the past decade, we see that it's true. Uh, in an up market, in a down market, we see that these tenants are true. And so when you build on that foundation, it lasts. How, how early in your relationship with a founder or an investor are you able to identify that, that it is a good match? You know what I mean? I'd love if you have any stories or tips around this to determine that this is going to be a good value fit or a bad value fit. And are you able to see that right away? Oh, wow. It's super hard because I'm living through a situation where I missed it right now. Yeah. And what I would say is, you know the people who opt out right away, right? Because the people who opt out, they look at your values and say, hey, that's not me. I'm all good. You're all good. We're not going to work together. The ones that are really hard to catch are the ones that fake it. And they're like, oh, yeah, I love your values. I love integrity. I love quality. I love transparency. So he's grimacing at me because she's heard the calls I've been on the lawyers recently. You know, literally this week, we are tomorrow. We're shutting down a company where the founder stole millions of dollars from the company and falsified all of his business metrics for a year, maybe two years. Right? And, and I'm struggling still with, like, how did, how did we miss it? How did we not see it? I think that those are the toughest situations when they actually tell you they buy into the values, but they don't. But they don't. They're faking it. Wow. Do you have any stories? Did you want to jump in? Oh, no, go ahead. Okay. No, I was just going to ask you from the founder side because we're talking about the, the relationship between founders and investors. But, yeah, go for it. No, I was just going to say, uh, just to piggyback off of that, it is incredibly difficult, uh, not only, it's because a lot of times you have to make a decision so quickly, right? And so ideally, you'd be able to meet and, and spend time with the founder for months or years or, or you know, years is way too long, but but enough time to really assess what's going on. And and again, like, just like VC, our salespeople, so are founders. Uh, and so, you know, that's where I think leaning on the Holy Spirit and for discernment and for wisdom to make the right decisions. If something doesn't feel right, uh, hit a pause. If something doesn't feel right, take another week. Uh, you know, the worst thing you could do is is invest in a company or build a relationship with someone that ultimately is not the right fit because then you're gonna then you're actually working back a lot of a lot of work uh, and investment and time. So it is really important. Yeah, and, and it's really important because the f average founder investor relationship lasts longer than the average marriage in America. So it's like getting married, and these processes, they run really fast. You wouldn't think about doing a two-week two roadshow to decide who you're going to marry, right? But that happens in a Series A all the time. So you're talking about that length of relationship. We heard from the VC side, the, the, like the values that you have. Maybe I'm just kind of leaning into the founders here. You can take money from anyone. What's the value in them selecting the right investors 
from a founder's perspective, instead of just taking money, is there certain money they should be looking for? Yeah, I mean, at, at some points it feels like money is green. So just whoever wants to, you know, invest, invest. I, I would echo what Chiwa says. What I'm learning and what I'm realizing is that these are long relationships, right? If you're signing up for a VC-backed uh, entrepreneurship journey, it is a 10-year journey, right? Uh, 10 years towards any sort of outcome. And so you got to be really, really intentional. Something that I found in our journey are just... It might seem like little things, but it's become significant things as we continue to build overflow. Uh, we were blessed to be in a situation where we started getting a lot of interest in term sheets during a period where overflow was seeing a lot of traction. And so we had multiple term sheets in, so I was in a position where we could choose. And one of the criteria I had was, I'm going to actually see in our logs which one of these prospective investors has actually used overflow. And in our seed round, there's only one, <laughs> there's only one person that, that did it, that actually donated through Overflow to a charitable cause that he was passionate about. And I was like, you know, you, you can't, if we're inspiring the world to give, and I'm going to invite an investor to be part of this journey, we can't take uh, people anywhere we haven't been ourselves. And so the authenticity of him actually using the platform, having feedback about the product, I was like, cool, this is at least, you know, not a believer, but this is something I could build a foundation on. He passionate about giving himself. He'll use the platform himself. And it's been, it's been working out really well. Hey, for the founders of the future founders in the room, can you talk about what a good pitch and a bad pitch looks like? Yeah. <laughs> uh, a good pitch has me wanting to like turn the page before they get to it. Uh, a good pitch is short. A good pitch is... Uh, leaving time for me to actually uh, ask questions. Uh, and more than that, it's actually a conversation because uh, we're talking about relationships, right? So if we're actually building a relationship, I need, to be I need to be able to be in a position where I can actually ask questions, get information. We can learn from each other uh, because it's not always a one-way street, right? It's very much a mutual relationship. And so if I'm in a pitch where I can't get a word in because the person's like, oh, well, I'll, you know, let me finish my, my next slide or, or whatever, then that's that's... That's a, that's a big red flag for me. So Series B, you got to really know your numbers. Uh, early stage, C, even a little bit of Series A. One question that you'll focus a lot of time on is why are you doing this? Like, what's your why? Uh, and they really want to understand the origin of the founder, the origin of the idea, what you're passionate about. Uh, because this is a journey that you got to be really, really yeah. resi resilient. And you got to uh, have a really strong why. And it's not just why, but it's also why now. Like why are you talk about that? What do you yeah, mean by that? Um, there's, I mean, there's so many examples of businesses that were started too late or started too early. Uh, so it's not just why in terms of why are you doing it, but why does this business make sense now uh, in the in the context of the macro, the market, uh, and all that kind of good stuff? It's what's why a now? good example of that where they had a really good why now? Um, you know, actually, the, the the biggest one is Airbnb is is one one example, which is literally people wanted other opportunities to rent, but they wanted a better price point. And so, you know, there's a bunch of examples where it literally matters more about uh, why does this make sense for you to raise outside capital to actually scale this company to solve this problem. Uh, and so a great why now is you also show me a huge problem, a huge problem that matter that that affects a lot of people, both domestically or, or, or internationally. That also is a, is a good example for me to see, OK, yeah, that's definitely this needs to be solved now.
I've got a good one for you. So I think a great pitch <clears throat> has a very unique insight associated with it. Because if you put your, yourself in the seat of the investor, the investor might hear it, be hearing 20, 50, 100 pitches a week. And that investor is just kind of churning through it, flipping through decks, right? But there's something that's going to stop that person and it's going to make them realize there's a unique insight here. So in the Why Now camp, remember when I first met Daniel Ek uh, when he was, he was uh, running Spotify, a couple hundred thousand subscribers. The way he articulated the Why Now was so amazing. He said, I'm sitting in Sweden. I have plenty of money and I want to buy music, but I cannot buy the music that I want because the uh, iTunes store was not available in Sweden. And then I go on BitTorrent to steal the music, and I get all these files, and they're all crap because the music labels had started to pollute BitTorrent with, with bad music but named it the name of the actual song. So that's the reason why now, right? If it had been three years earlier, BitTorrent would have been a perfectly easy way to get music in, uh, in, in um, Scandinavia. If it had been three years later, the iTunes store would have been available there. And so he sat there, he was so frustrated, and he's like, I gotta solve this problem right now because I am willing to spend 10 or $20 a month to pay for unlimited music, but there's no way for me to get it. And, and here's where magic moments happen, when a big problem meets a tectonic platform shift, right? And so think like Lyft or Uber. A big why now is GPS-enabled phones that everybody has, right? That, that business literally could not exist without that specific why now. And so when there's tectonic platform shifts that meet a big problem, then you have something that can be really magic. Yeah, I think we... Do we want to go to questions in the room? We do want to go to questions. Yeah. So if you've got questions, I'm going to roam around and yeah. ask. I did want to ask a question, though, about from the investor's point of view, when you're looking at a founder, what is the level of expertise you expect a founder to have? I mean, we've just been talking about problems, their passion, their vision. But, I mean, they have to have expertise. How do you measure that? They should and if know you have questions, just raise your hand. I'll come to you while they in, answer this. In my opinion, they should know more about this problem and how to solve this problem than anyone else. Right. And they might not know more about the problem. There might, not, there might be somebody who is more academically inclined that understands the problem better. They might not uh, be able to solve it better than anyone else. There might be a very technical person who's able to solve it better than anyone else. It's the coupling, it's the integration of those two, which is understanding the problem and how to solve it in a unique way better than anyone else. Yeah, if I'm asking more detailed questions and the founder's able to answer then that's like okay i i, I because I, I my job is to invest and then go invest in another company and let them build and scale and so they don't have the expertise to run the company by themselves that's not my job my job is not to run the company my job is to provide governance insight capital and then let them let them do their thing oh, i love that all right we would have found a question over here hi um, my name is jackie and my question is when you can think about a presentation or a pitch deck um, what was in that deck, that special deck that stood out to you? Something special that we can think about? Like a memorable one that they've yes. seen. Okay, what has been the most memorable pitch deck that you thought, that got me? Yes. That thing got me. Um, decks that actually have very little words. So, a lot of uh, pictures. <laughs> so you're a picture person. <laughs> Charles wants a picture book. book. I love it. V VCs are not that smart, you know, so. We're not that smart. We, uh, Things have to stick quick, 
And so if I have to read, you know, two, three lines, I'm done. I mean, I'm flipping to the next thing because I'm looking at hundreds. I need to get to the answer quickly. Uh, and so if I see a lot of words, it's a lot of white noise. I can't, I can't assess that. What that tells me is that that person can't boil down what the problem, what they're doing succinctly uh, and punchy. And that's going to be a problem when they go sell to customers, when they go try to hire their next key person. And so for me, that's actually the first test is, is your deck busy? Is it, is it tight? Is it clean? Is there viewed a little zero grammatical errors? Like, like that for me is a huge litmus test in terms of who I'm actually going to be meeting with or dealing with. There's usually one thing that you look at it and you're like, that's not possible or that sounds like magic. And that's what you really key on, in on. Like uh, this Korean financial services company that we backed, it, it's the Venmo of Korea basically. And what the founder explained is it takes 35 clicks and you have to enter your name and password three times and you have to answer the phone and pick up a call for any transfer greater than 20 US dollars and we turned it into three clicks. So at that moment, you're like, wait, that sounds like magic. That's not possible. How do you do that? And that's when you really lean in and you realize, wow, this is going to completely disrupt the way that all these people used to do this money transfer thing and make it much simpler. So you're looking for the magic moment. Yeah. Sounds it's like, like the, the like first Disneyland. time you, you held an iPhone and you like pinched or like you swiped and it moved, you're like, whoa, this is totally different from my Nokia. Actually, y'all are too young, you don't have Nokia. Yeah, yeah. They are too young, yeah. <laughs> no, I play Snake, I play Snake. This is different from my, my, my Blackberry. Blackberry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Vance's first iPhone was like the iPhone 6. <laughs> exactly. For sure. <laughs> I have four kids, she welcome. <laughs> That's right, you got four kids. All right, we've got another question, guys. Another question over here, Hi, my name is Joshua. Um, when, it's, when it comes to leadership, what are, in your opinion, one of the most important leadership qualities to possess that maybe you try to look for when a founder is looking for an investment. Oh, that's good. What leadership qualities are you looking for? That's a really good one. Humility. Ooh. Because as a founder, your job is to fail over and over and over again and learn from it and get up and be able to tell the team around you, hey, we failed, but we're going to do this again, and here's what we learned from it. Here's how we're going to proceed together. If you're arrogant as a founder, like in good times, like we went through you know, not too long ago, and everything's going up and to the right, oh, it's fine. Like, as an arrogant founder, people just throw money at you. But in hard times when you actually have to go through it, being a humble founder matters a lot. Strong convictions loosely held. So sometimes I may have insights that I can help, uh, but sometimes I'm wrong. And I need a founder who's not like, oh, a, a yes man or yes woman to say, oh, you know, because I'm a VC and I say something that means it's right. No, if I'm wrong, correct me and do what you think is best. At the same time, if my answer or my insight is more helpful than take it. So coachable ability to uh, to say no, say no to me or correct me is just as important. Oh, that's so good. All right, I'm up the back here behind the uh, hype team. All right, and we've got a question about AI and investments. Hi, guys. I was just wondering, um, great session, by the way. I was just wondering what role you think AI is going to play in this um, relationship between VCs and founders and also practical advice, what kind of tools exist today that could help people looking to make pitch decks uh, to present to you guys? There you go. I don't know who that's for. I feel like that's right up Chiwa's alley, right up Vance's alley. Well, <clears throat> I mean, I, I would say that AI, I believe, is the next tectonic platform shift. So the last one, if it was mobile and smartphones being on everybody's hand, I believe that AI is actually 
going to be even more than that. Think, think about this, right? So there's a little bit of a nervousness with people that it's going to displace a bunch of jobs. But maybe those are jobs we don't want to do anyways. <laughs> and so if it displaces the jobs that we don't want to do anyways that can be handled by AI, it frees up people to be able to solve problems. And trust me, there's a lot of problems to be solved. That's what entrepreneurship is. And so that problem that you wanted to solve where you were like, man, I wish I had an app for that or I wish I had a piece of software for that, you're going to be able to prompt in two years ChatGPT and it's going to create that app for you in 30 minutes. Right, and so you're gonna see this proliferation of entrepreneurship because of AI, and I believe that's one of the platform tectonic shifts. I would say that, you know, in terms of the deck, it needs to be clean, it has to have not many grammatical errors, it has to be excellent, but ultimately, going back to what we were saying earlier, um, for, for investors like Charles specifically, that warm intro goes a long way, right? And so, uh, building your network, uh, being able to have conversations with other builders, with other founders in their portfolio, um, getting conviction from the community and getting those intros will help a ton in addition to a, a good deck. Yeah, I, I don't know who this is for, but uh, don't focus too much on building the product or what you're doing that you're not building relationships uh, because your product can only take you so far. If you're actually looking to raise capital, you need to have relationships, right? AI is not going to move relationships. It's going to help improve a lot of things. I believe I, way back when, when the calculator was launched, everyone was like, oh, the calculator is going to like make all of us dumb and like inability to, to compute. No, it actually made us be more effective. And so I believe AI is actually going to disrupt every single sector. I haven't heard a sector that won't be disrupted indirectly or directly from AI. So what I'm hearing is don't have ChatGPT write your pitch. Got you. Okay. We've got another question. Okay. Thank you. I'll hold it. Oh, oh. <laughs> you come to me. Okay, sorry about that. Um, thank you all so much for all this wisdom. Uh, this question is actually for the found uh, for the investors. I want to know what are some major red flags that you run into when people are pitching you? And I'm not talking about character flaws in the um, the founders, but what are some red flags in the ideas? What are some things that make you think like I never want to invest in this? This is a dumb idea. Like I want nothing to do with it. Um, great question. So going back to the six M's, if I, if the, if they can't explain the market, if the market's tiny, then it's not worth my time. If the management team doesn't have expertise, then that's a red flag. Literally just go down. If, if, if what they're building, the person next to them is building the exact same thing that better, faster, cheaper. That's the moat. Uh, literally like I just go through the six M's and if they don't cross the checks, then I don't get down to investing or spending more time. Yeah. If your solution is just a little bit better than the other one, then that's not gonna get you very far. And the way you know that's the case is if you find yourself comparing yourself to others in an incremental way. So as you're preparing that pitch deck, you think, well, this is like 5% better than this other thing. That's not good enough. It's gotta be 10x better, or it has to be something completely transformational. This is so stinking good, by the way. This is great stuff. These Daniel. are good questions. That's why it's good. Daniel, stand up. If you've got a question, man, come on. I'm sorry. Sorry about it. So my question is, um, I'm not American. Lots of people are not American here with very good companies and that have success in their uh, own countries. What is the key thing that you look at the, those companies that want to be global ones? Chihuahua. You know... North America has an unfair advantage in terms of be 
creating global competitors, and I know you're from Brazil, so I'll just draw the analogy. Um, North American companies are able to generate a level of unit profitability uh, because of the wealth of North America, either the companies or the consumers, that's very, very hard to replicate elsewhere. So the reason, so we've got a global portfolio and we see this pattern over and over again, it's interesting. Latin American companies, Southeast Asian companies, African companies, in general struggle to compete outside of their markets. And one of the main reasons why is you can't generate enough unit profitability in your market to actually afford the sales and marketing expense of entering a much more expensive market. So we have uh, a company called Getir. It's the biggest 10-minute delivery company in the world, based in Istanbul, Turkey. Extremely profitable in Turkey, 46% gross margins, 22% contribution margins. They go to the Europe. They go to Europe. They're losing money hand over fist. It's just like really, really expensive to compete in Europe, right? The European companies, on the other hand, have very expensive infrastructure. They, they weren't able to compete for a variety of different reasons. Uh, but a company like Nubank, which you would know well, they have extraordinarily high unit profitability, which has enabled them to export that model elsewhere. We'll see if they can come to North America. They're doing well in Mexico. We'll see if they can come into North America. But I'd really focus on getting that right before you try to go global, because North American and, to a degree, European companies have an unfair advantage in that area. Chinese companies are different. They have an unfair advantage because it's a closed market. It's big. It's 1.2 billion people, and the government protects them from outside competition. The competition internally is incredibly treacherous, but they don't really have to face outside competition. Uh, it's two completely different asset classes. So private equity is the right investor for you if you have a mature business, likely generating cash flow, can service debt. So you have to have a pretty substantial, I think, five to one EBITDA to debt ratio. Uh, maybe, maybe three years ago people were willing to go to seven, but not, yeah, not too much more than that. Uh, venture capital, the reason that we exist is because companies lose a lot of money before they become profitable. If they didn't lose money, they wouldn't need us. Uh, so the approach you should think about is if I have a mature business, it could be of any scale, but if it's a mature business with a mature economic model that generates profits, private equity could be a good partner for me. Most likely in that transaction, you will lose control. So in private equity, they buy your business, they might employ you, and you might have a, a piece of the equity, but you are now an employee. In the case of venture capital, we will never own a majority of your company. In fact, it's just, it, it's, it's almost, it's not, a, it's not a rule, but it's almost a rule that you never want to own a majority of a company. Founder stays in control. The moment at the founder is no longer successful, as the CEO, you have a conversation around, do you bring in a professional CEO? But that's what a venture firm would do. I'd also say, too, that uh, your growth trajectory really matters on how to contextualize your company. So as an operator, as a founder, right, if you're going to stay on the VC track, you have to grow like you're on the VC track. And so what growth in B2B SaaS, for example, they're looking for 3x, 3x, 2x, 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 year-over-year growth on something like ARR, annual recurring revenue. If you're not able to do that or if it completely stalls from there, then you might want to cut bait, get profitable, it might end up being a PE outcome, but it's better than nothing, right? And so you're just going to be smart about that, clever on how your company's grown. 
That's good. That's good. Right up the back row, literally just sneaking into the hype house. We got a question. Hi. Uh, can you talk about a company of yours that achieved escape velocity in terms of the funding process, where they went from knocking on every door and people said no to not having to knock on any doors and funders were actually coming for them? Yeah, so this um, Korean payments company actually is a really good example. So when we funded it, it was building the Venmo of Korea. And um, you know, I mentioned the fact that you go from 35 clicks down to three clicks, you can transfer money. Incredibly fast-growing business in terms of the adoption rate. We probably had two or three million active users at the time. Uh, unfortunately, the unit economics of peer-to-peer uh, -peer transfer are really bad. You basically have negative gross margins. So we took it up and down Sand Hill Road to every, you know, I, I by that point probably spent 15 years, you know, doing venture capital investing. To every venture capitalist we knew, including our old firms, nobody would even take a meeting. And the reason is they said, one, Korea, there's only 60 million people. It's a small market. Two, peer-to-peer -peer payments has never made money. Inside of PayPal, Venmo still loses money to this day. And three, the company was started by a dentist. I'm not joking. The guy was a dentist before he started this. And he had this insight. He's like, I want to start this company. And so we actually had to bridge fund the company ourselves because nobody would fund it. We wrote a, I think it was a $12 million check to keep it alive. Fast forward 24 months, Sequoia, Kleiner Perkins, Dragoneer, Tomasic, GIC, they all invested in the company. It's doing 1.6 billion in revenue. It's growing 60% year on year. It's probably a $10 billion EV company now. But it had to go through that really, really difficult time of nobody would even take a meeting, much less turning it down, because it didn't look quite right at that point in time. But the founder, SG, he had this unique insight. He realized the thing people do the most in financial services is pay each other. And so if you have that engagement, you can attach a whole bunch of other services to that over time, and that eventually grew. Is that still just in Korea? Right, uh, Korea and Vietnam. Sounds like an open market to me. All right, next question. Um, is there a magic number to the number of founders and the dynamic they take on as the company grows? You mean uh, how many people are starting the company together? Um, I would say... Co-founder relationships. Yeah, I would say it's more focused on what are their roles, like what is their day-to-day? -day? So do you have a technical founder as a CTO? Do you have a person running the company, CEO? Do you have a person running the kind of the operations of the company, COO. So it's more about are there defined roles and that what people are doing, less so about the number of people who are founders. I would say there's a disproportionate bias towards somebody that has a co-founder though, um, with certain firms, not all firms, but many firms bias towards, you know, two or three co-founders. Do you guys have to, do you, when you go into the relationship with the founder, do you have to like all the founders? Do you have to like, you know, like, like them personally? Just. Like, That's a bigger relationship than the VC founder relationship. Yeah. 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 I just wait, wait, the, Do the co founders do have to like each other? No. That's generally from good. From the investor <laughs> side. From the investor side. Because you, you just mentioned how you, you've got oh. this long term relationship. Like, do you have to believe in every single one of those founders? Not as much. Okay. The, 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 VC, the VC CEO relationship tends to be the one that is the most yeah. intense. There might be other co-founders on the table. It'd be nice if the co-founders all liked each other, though. Yes. That'd be a good thing. <laughs> Not always the case. Got it. Yeah, how often are you barbecuing with your, uh, your founders, you know, your portfolio Not companies? Enough. Not right. enough. <laughs> okay, we've got a question over here. 
Hi there, guys. My name's Claire. Thanks so much for being here. Um, it actually was already asked, but I wanted to reiterate it because I was very curious. So given SVB collapse, everything that we're going through right now, can you just speak to the venture capitalist mindset market perspective right now and how you guys are thinking about that? Great question. Um, so I'll start for at least at our firm. We we raised our, our, our fund um, right kind of before the whole craziness. And so at least from our perspective, uh, there's still a great opportunity to invest. So uh, we have a lot of money to put to work. And so we're excited and we're, we're showing up. What's happening right now is that there's still a disconnect, a, a bid ask between where founders think the company should be valued versus what the actual valuation should be for a company, specifically from where I sit as a growth stage investor, meaning I'm focusing on the public markets when I underwrite companies and, and describe evaluation. And so when I'm looking at companies, uh, that, that makes that, that gap even greater. But what I could say is I'm taking just as many meetings as I'm taking before. Uh, they're just ending a lot sooner due to valuation issues. It must be sunnier where Charles lives. Because right now, I would say it's the worst time in the last 20 years in the venture market. Uh, companies, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that what you're saying is not true, but the, the issue that I think generally the entire ecosystem is going through is like really bad indigestion. It's like you eat a huge meal that included a lot of stuff that you shouldn't have eaten, and you drank a lot. And then you wake up the next day, you're like, I'm not gonna feel right for a little while here. And I think that's what's really going on in the startup ecosystem because companies got so used to two twin tailwinds that really helped them. The first was zero interest rates. Zero interest rates makes everything look more valuable because your discount rate is zero. And then the second was COVID. COVID generally was a tailwind for all digital businesses. When you simultaneously take those two away, there's just a readjustment period. I think we're probably, we're six quarters into it. We're probably two to four quarters away from being through it. But this feels a lot like kind of 2001 through 2005 type, type vibes in terms of the readjustment. Very cool. Matt Potter, folks, CEO of Prey.com. Got a question? Founder of Prey.com, not CEO, but thank okay. you very much. Yep. Uh, you just got promoted. I just got promoted <laughs> live. <laughs> um, we never always get it right. So what are some of the companies that you passed on that were super successful? And then how did you tune your systems for those companies that wow. you missed? Uh, for us, we passed on Stripe at a billion and then two billion and then four billion and then 10 billion because the margin profile was so small. Uh, and us as a firm, we had built a framework for understanding fintech companies, which typically have very different margin profiles. And so I put my hand up a few years ago to say, hey, we, we, we keep getting this wrong. Let's, let's, let's change this. And so that allowed us to underwrite differently and better for specific markets. And so I think that's, that's key is when you're spending time in a market, you understand the dynamics of that market, uh, not only in terms of the, the company, but also the broader macro environment. How much time do you have, Matt? I've got a long list. <laughs> Give us one. All right, one story. Oh, man, so painful. Too many stories. Uh, I had Travis Kalanick in my office, um, and I was stupidly trying to recruit him to join Kleiner Perkins as an investing partner. It was really clear Travis had no interest in being a venture capitalist, but he was just, he's a, he's a very interested guy. He likes to learn. So he's peppering me with questions, and I was like trying to convince him you should come be a VC. And at the end of the meeting, 
we walk out and I said, okay, clearly you're just not interested in this. What are you excited about these days? And he pulls out his phone and he says, oh, you know, Garrett and I are working on this cool little app. You push this button and a black car will come and show up and, you know, come pick you up. I was like, oh, that's like really cool. Like there's seven people who might use that thing, you know? And, and he said, hey, you can invest a quarter million dollars at a six million post. And I recently saw a blog post on Twitter that said the people who invested a quarter million at a six billion post made $1.2 billion at the IPO. So that's my, that's my, uh, my one of several that got away, but that one really hurts. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> what a note. <laughs> Ending on a high note, Adam. Yes, real, real high note. Uh, that actually makes us all feel better, actually, you know, uh, to be honest. Doesn't that make us feel better? Even they get, Come on, can we give it up for this panel? My goodness, so special. Thank you guys uh, for uh, sharing that wisdom. Thank you for the question.